You know how much you like producing podcasts. Yes. Can you imagine producing podcasts for 40 more years? Probably not. (laughs) Maybe in 40 years, podcasts might be obsolete. Yeah, true. They could be. Yeah, who knows? I'm Barb Demeray, and you're listening to What's Next? Conversations with Boomers. Following last week's podcast on starting a new career at age 65, today we're doing a part two on that same theme. There's another category of people who, after 65, are still working in the same career they began 30 or 40 years ago. Many work part-time or as consultants, And my bet is that most of us know someone who fits in that category. There are others who are still working full time after age 65. And there are some who continue to work full time after age 70. Our guest today is Joost Bakker, an architect here in Vancouver and a very prolific one, who at age 77 is still working full-time. Even thinking about it makes me tired. I know his story will be an inspiration to those of us who think retiring at age 65 is a given. Welcome, Yoast. Hi, guys. Hi, Barb. Hi, Mella. Thanks so much for coming on because we know you're super busy. Let's just dive right into this. You're an architect. Yeah. But can you give us a job description for those of us who don't know what an architect does except design buildings? Yeah, no, what an architect uh, does uh, probably shifts with time. And so, you know, probably what I did when I was uh, 30 is very different from what I do now as 77. At the moment, I'm a a partner in a firm called Dialogue, and uh, we have offices across Canada and an office in San Francisco. And, and we're, we're trying something really different. It's not just an architectural practice, but it's a practice that includes engineers, landscape architects, interior designers, so that we're trying to deliver a, a whole project and a whole building. So that's uh, a, a, an aspiration that's, that's quite unique, I think. In terms of a job description, uh, I jokingly say we hunt work, uh, we do work, and then we schmooze a lot to be able to get more work. So there's sort of a continuum. Lots of schmoozing. Lots of schmoozing. I, I'm, I'm a partner. So the nature of what I do is, um, you know, I do a lot of proposal writing. Uh, and to, to me, it's, it's really a key thing of what an architect does uh, because it sets the direction you'd like to go. It sets a fee and a client likes it or doesn't. So it's a really pivotal moment. So it's just a high level overview. Personally, uh, what I'm interested in is architecture and urban design. And urban design is more like city planning and creating uh, larger spaces beyond just the scope of a building. It's huge. Yeah, the, the proposals and the schmoozing are a huge part of it that people do not think about. Yeah. Because I was once married to an architect, what I learned was the enormous gap between conception and the actual completion of a project. Years and years and years in some cases. 
right? Yeah, no, it's, it's uh, you know, a building can take anywhere from four to six years. It's, it's an enormous process, starting with very general ideas, as you say, and sort of, you know, trying to pull things out of thin air to coming to a place where there's an acceptance, a realization, there's endless permits you have to get, tons of technical drawings, and then ultimately uh, to do what's called construction administration. And it's a field at the end of the job where you can lose tons of money as an architect. So yes, that's partly where anxiety comes from in my field. When did you first enter this field and how did you come to decide to become an architect? Yeah, no, I, I have a bit of a reflection on that. Uh, in, in my own case, it's, it's quite singular. Um, it turns out I'm a fourth generation architect uh, in my family. I was born in the Dutch West Indies on the island of Curacao. Uh, my father is an architect, uh, came to Canada in the early 50s. I went to school here. I did uh, another degree, not knowing what the hell I wanted to do with my life and studied. I did an arts degree majoring in economics. What's interesting, though, is during that period, I taught myself to draw and to paint. Um, and at the end of it, uh, my father, who was then living in Holland again, came over and basically said, hey, Joost, what are you going to do with your life? So that he sort of gave me a nudge and pushed me towards going and applying at the school. Uh, of architecture. And I was very fortunate to have landed there in 1967, a radical moment in time. The whole curriculum had been turned upside down. And I jokingly say, for me, the lights went on at that moment mm -hmm. in time. It was exciting. Uh, the people I went to school with, I'm still close friends with, and we've had very, been very successful. And I attributed partly in, the, in this instance to uh, the program that I landed in. And so my route to becoming an architect was sort of circuitous, but in, ret in retrospect, I have to attribute a lot, obviously, to my family, but most particularly to my father for this. It's obviously in your DNA. Yeah. And you obviously made the right decision because here you are all these years later, still doing it and still enjoying it. Did you ever imagine you'd still be working full time at the age of 77? No. And, and you know, it's interesting you ask me that uh, I just I just kept doing it. I mean, I, I um, you know, <laughs> I mentioned the fact that the lights uh, were turned on and so far the lights haven't uh, turned off. I had, I had a, a mentor was a sort of a spiritual mentor once who said to me, Yost, you'll know when it's time to retire when people don't want to listen to you anymore. So that's the mantra that I uh, follow. And uh, the other thing I would say is the a range of work and the projects, um, this development of dialogue and our aspirations for it, all of these things keep me going. And um, I jokingly say to people, boy, if I had a career of having to design nothing but high schools, I would have retired long ago. But it's the variety, I would say. And you've done some pretty impressive projects, I know. Yeah. You know, again, uh, there's a bit of happenstance, I suspect, anybody's uh, career, um, whatever it is they do. But uh, for me, a big fortuitous moment was uh, I took a train ride out to Vancouver in 1974 from Toronto and still jokingly referred to an extended holiday here. But when I was here, I, I ran across a man, Norm Hodson, with whom it turned out I'd gone to high school in Toronto. I knew him since grade nine. And uh, it was late 76, early 77 that he and I landed uh, a project which was the redevelopment of Granville Island. And I can't tell you 
how significant uh, a motivator, educator. It was very exciting. And uh, so, so certainly landing that project as a, a young kid out of school uh, was enormous. And uh, yeah, still, still motivates me. And you're still involved with Granville Island, right? On and off. We're less so. I mean, they, they, uh, they're trying to embrace a new vision. Uh, I think there's new challenges. Uh, COVID wasn't easy on them. But um, I'm certainly a supporter, and you know, advise when I can. But uh, yeah, no, it's 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 a place that needs to be able to renew itself constantly, and uh, so I'm certainly a supporter of that. Anybody that knows Vancouver knows Granville Island. A lot of people retire at 55, but most at 65. And maybe you've kind of answered this when you know what went through your head when you arrived at 65. Was it was it pre-planned oh, that you would carry on working? Yeah, no. For, for me, the experience I had was less thinking about uh, retirement. I mean, it, it's what we do is incredibly complex, and there's a lot to, to learn, and let alone, you know, learning to be yourself and being able to be in touch with yourself. So, you know, when I, late 50s, early 60s, slowly I felt I became more comfortable and at ease with what I was doing. Um, so for, for me, this, this particular period of time had more to do with a growing confidence and an understanding of the field. And, and, you know, we talked earlier about the complexity, but really as an architect, you need to understand politics. You not need to understand economics. You, it, there's so many languages really that you need to, to learn and feel comfortable with. Gosh, it's broad. Okay. How many hours a week would you say you put into your job? Oh, there's at least 40 uh, and sometimes At least more. 40. Yeah, yeah. You put in the hours uh, uh, and you spend endless hours in Zoom meetings, which is a whole new wild uh, rodeo all its own. And it's harder to work in design, I find, uh, certainly in the design field, working in this uh, new hybrid world that we've invented for ourselves. I can well imagine because it's such a team environment creating. It's not just one person. It's a whole yeah, team of people yeah. and obviously better to be together. Yeah. Okay. So describe a typical day. So a typical day for me obviously means having a shower. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Right? Like I the mean, rest of us. Okay. That's, 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 okay. that's what we all have in common. Um, and okay. That. And, then, and then the next thing is to go to a JJ Bean coffee shop and we've designed some 21 of them here in Vancouver. And then I make my way to the office and, you know, meetings tend to start at eight o'clock or at nine o'clock. Uh, recently, we were collaborating with some Dutch architects and some days would actually start at five just to be able to coordinate uh, the different uh, time zones. Um, and then uh, a lot of it is, you know, endless emails in part. Sometimes there's partner meetings. Sometimes there are just team meetings on various projects. Uh, sometimes it means going for a, a site visit, which means, you know, going on to a construction site. You put on your hard hat, your boots, and you do whatever inspections need to be done. Sometimes there's lunches with clients. Sometimes there's lunches with uh, folks in the office. And then again, the afternoon continues uh, other days, and I think I touched on this as well, there's the need to write proposals. And I, I think I mentioned to you, it, they're huge. So to get it right and to design the proposal is, is 
and, and the sophistication of proposal writing has really escalated from even when I was younger. It's highly competitive. And uh, then, uh, you know, sometimes uh, during COVID, what we've invented for ourselves with our Vancouver partners. So on uh, Wednesdays at five, we get together as partners and have drinks. And we have drinks with our San Francisco partners. And it's a way to be sort of be able to chill out, share stories, experiences, and also, uh, you know, maintain connection with the partners. And I, I think that the cultural relationship we have amongst the partners is huge. And I think in part has been part of the success of us being able to navigate uh, these uh, difficult times. And then occasionally, you know, there's a meeting in the evening where you have to make a presentation to a city council or things like that. So that's roughly a description of a possible day. Pretty full. Yeah. Okay, can you share some projects that you're working on right now to give us an idea of the scope? Sure. One project that is finally, finally almost there, and, you know, it's something we started in 2016. It's small, uh, but it's this really interesting, innovative, and radically different small park in the downtown at Smythe and Richards. And it's been challenging. We did it for the Parks Board. The Parks Board really wants to set a new tone. It's really satisfying to see a project when it nears completion and you actually see it being used. I'm working right now in Kelowna for Tolco Industries. And Tolco had a timber mill site at the north end of Kelowna. Kelowna is uh, north of uh, Vancouver, and it's actually in a very beautiful part of BC where the high Sierra comes up from the south. So it's a beautifully arid climate. There's a lot of wineries up there, and we've been retained to plan uh, and develop a master plan uh, leading to a rezoning of a 40-acre site. That particular city has had a long history of mill sites, and this is one of the last ones to, to end. So it's a huge new opportunity within the city to help transform the city. We're just starting a couple of projects that are very much focused on social and supportive housing here in Vancouver. And it's a huge issue in, I know, every city. One of them is called Ray Cam, and it's a long, old standing community center. Its roots are in, with the indigenous community in Vancouver, the Chinese community. Um, and it, it needs to expand and at the same time develop a, a lot of uh, affordable housing, some 200 units on it. So this will be a radical transformation. What's exciting, and a lot of our projects now also involved reconciliation, decolonization. So we're working with uh, an Indigenous team as a part of the engagement with the community there. So it's, it's a very exciting, but at the same time, really important project. Gosh, that's interesting. That's that's cool. Yeah, and then and, and in a similar vein, there's a, a, an entity here in Vancouver known as the Portland Hotel Society. Uh, and it's always had a mandate of trying to house people with disabilities, people with addiction problems. So we're working with them to build a new headquarters for the Portland Housing Society and a, a small community bank, and then the rest of it uh, with housing. So th th those are things that are currently on my plate. Uh, one last one I might mention, it's, it's taken a long time and forever, but I've been working with our Toronto studio and mm. I'm helping the team uh, redo and rethink the lower level of the St. Lawrence market in Toronto. <laughs> oh my God. Can you, can you imagine having, having that much on your plate at 77? 
I can't even handle three podcasts, let alone whatever that was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, you say that, and um, I guess what I would say is it, it sounds like a lot, but the other thing I was trying to allude to about the benefits of aging that I've discovered is all of a sudden you, you get a better eye and a nose of what's important. So you don't have to use as much energy maybe um, as, as when you were younger. You, you understand the sequence of events, you know when to involve yourself, when to hold back. Right. So uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a Actually, Mela, Connie said something very similar. Yeah, you, you know right away what what's the most important yeah. and that's so you deal with and then you everything else is extraneous and and not important and that only comes with experience and yeah the wisdom of age and we will be right back okay so do you ever think about your peers who are traveling the world or playing golf a few times a week? Although Mela says that podcasts are the new golf. Yes, po- <laughs> podcasting is um, ladies golf nowadays. And feel an urge to just pack it all in? I mean, do you ever get moments, days? No, I worry about uh, my friends who are off traveling too much and extending their carbon footprint and destroying the globe. Mm. Uh, no, that doesn't concern me, and nor do I think is golf necessarily a contributor <laughs> to the well-being of the globe. But no, I, I, um, I've never had that kind of urge. I've been very fortunate. I've been able to travel myself as well, or even I can't even imagine it. Well, that's interesting. That that's interesting. Yeah, and I, I, I just think you saying that is is an inspiration. You know, part of the point of doing this is that. If you're still able and love yeah. what you're doing, why not? I yeah. mean, for some people, you know, retirement can be their death. You know, it's just not. Yeah, you hear lots of stories of people who retire and then a few years later, uh, there's an obituary. Each of our lives are radically different. I, I fully recognize uh, and appreciate. And, and, and what we each do is different and some you know some work is exciting and interesting i've been very fortunate in that regard and some is maybe less so and uh, yeah so we each have different needs aspirations yeah. for sure okay so you're in a clearly a very high pressure field where do you get the stamina that's required to complete a full day and plus you know the day's uh, finished and then you're off to a meeting like where, well, you know, <laughs> the rest of us are having a nap you know it's funny um I guess it's only when you get to be this age that it triggers a question like that, but it's never <laughs> been an issue. What I would say is uh, obviously the work has been the main draw. I, I think uh, I take care of myself in the sense of, you know, walking, uh, swimming, eating well, uh, things like that. But I, I really think it's, uh, it's uh, the work. And the, and the other thing, what I find really exciting is to be living at this moment in time. And I, I, I say to friends, I think we're actually living in revolutionary times, the like of which the world hasn't seen. It's the advent of digitization, social media, uh, a war in Russia and the Ukraine, mm-hmm. uh, all of the social upheaval everywhere. I mean, th- th- these are just unbelievable, exciting times and, and times that, you know, you, for me, I just want to be awake and alert and try and sense of what is right. cooking. Of I have course. a question. 
Yeah. On on the note of like stamina and like having energy, are you like um, Richard Branson? Like they he gets up at like five thirty in the morning. Is that your vibe? Like, <laughs> are you up at five thirty? Oh no 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 no! I'm I'm, I'm not a five thirty. Is that your vibe, Yost? Is that your vibe? I, no, that's not my vibe. I I, I would say. <laughs> Oh, no, my, I, I totally don't vibe at all at 5.30 in the morning. But I, I think one thing that has also contributed, and, and, and I've uh, not been doing it as much, but, but I've been involved in a, in a Zen practice. And so meditation uh, is important. Uh, one of the most wonderful things uh, for me is being able to go on to a week-long silent retreat. And, and I think there's a, a recharging of... Uh, another form of energy, for lack of a better word. And I'm not sure if Richard Branson is a meditator, but maybe some of these boys are. That's a really good thing to insert into this conversation, because it's something that probably people wouldn't expect. But also, don't you think that there's an adrenaline factor? I, I mean, my yeah. father worked at a very high pressure job. He was a Supreme yeah. Court judge and was still yeah. working in his 70s. And I used to think, how do you do it? I mean, he would be writing judgments till three in the morning. But I know with yeah. him, it was an adrenaline. He loved it so much. It was the adrenaline yeah. that kept him going. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. And, you know, you, you mentioned your father. Uh, I mean, I know my, as I mentioned, my father was an architect and he worked till he was 75, right? So it, it's also a, a field where, if you're uh, healthy and alert, you can you can go quite a long time. And you know, there's uh, an architect like Frank Gehry who was born, I believe, in Toronto, if I'm not mistaken. He's still going at it in his early 90s. So it is a field where um, you can continue. Well, in Vancouver, one of the most well-known architects, of course, is Arthur Erickson, who I know yeah. worked well into his 80s, and he also yeah. was very prolific. And we'll be right back. Okay, so your work clearly nourishes you in a big way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do I dare ask this? Do, do you have a plan to retire in the near future? <laughs> Is it in your thought process at all? Not, not, not actively, no. But, you know, it's probably wise to take moments to reflect and imagine other uh, scenarios. You know, for, for me, it might be wanting to draw or be involved in some other artistic enterprise. But, you know, retirement in the sort of conventional sense that we use the word, no. I, I think the challenge is more, how long can I stay engaged? Honestly, I think this is so inspiring, you know, because it really debunks the whole must retire at 65. You must have a huge mentoring role at your office. Talk about that. I think now I certainly find myself supporting uh, younger people who have become partners mm. uh, in the firm. And uh, I also mentor my partners. I'm, I'm the oldest uh, guy in dialogue. And so, you know, it, and, you know I'm, I'm, I'm in a firm with some 57 partners. Wow. So 57 so, partners. Oh, that this is in, in all the offices, right? right. In all the right. offices right. together. Some of them are architects, some of them are engineers, some of them are landscape architects. So the more we can talk, support each other, uh, 
the better. And, and it's taken, it, it, it takes a long time to get to know someone. And I think the strength of dialogue is in fact in getting to know each other as partners. So for me, there's a huge mentoring uh, capacity even in supporting uh, our partners. And uh, yeah. I have a question. Yeah. On the subject of mentoring younger um, colleagues, how has the changing times after COVID and everything, there's been a lot of conversations about inclusivity. Yeah. How does that come into play as a mentor yeah. yourself? Like what course of actions have you taken yeah. in the recent social climate? Yeah. So on that note, I'm a co-chair uh, with a, a young woman in our Toronto studio, Nicole. And quarterly, we have a justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion leadership thing that we lead and inject uh, different conversations that, that all of anybody in dialogue can participate in via Zoom. And, and that's become a, a really valuable and important uh, thing to do. And I, you know, as you say, I mean, I think we've all been really touched in the last let's call it three years, with all of the justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion issues. And, and I think I mentioned as well, more and more, um, my work has involved uh, working with uh, Indigenous uh, people, certainly here, uh, the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh. Um, so that's another uh, important uh, dimension. And, and, and I've instigated here in our Vancouver studio to work with a uh, a group of Indigenous people who just uh, are talking about uh, reconciliation. It's not easy, it's hard, um, and it's painful. And uh, so, but, but for us, it's really important uh, that this is a dimension to the culture that we try and sustain mm -hmm. in, in our studio. Right. Yeah. So you're really aiming more and more to, to become more inclusive, to diversify, to keep up yeah. with... Um, social trends you know we've got a program to sponsor women in our studio i think you know at a staff level mm -hmm. um it's 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 easily you know maybe even a slight majority of women but at the leadership level it's not there yet and uh, that's a big challenge that we're addressing we have a program called build dialogue where we select individuals to learn more about the business and and also have a program to support uh, and nurture women you know it's just giving them opportunities bringing them to meetings and just getting them on another right. track providing a uh, seat at to, the to, table to, yeah 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 that's See, awesome there's some proactive people that are making it happen and i would say you cannot not do it absolutely right? that's why i say i mean I find absolutely you not do it you know that this is these that's why i can use the word revolutionary times there's so much yeah that needs to shift and move i will drink to that this has been fabulous yost thank you so much for coming on anyways barb uh, thanks uh, and mela and i tell you i'm glad you asked me and it's it's interesting to sort of try and reflect on oneself and this opportunity doesn't come across uh, or occur often so thank you we kind of we kind of dig don't we Mella, into people's lives yeah. i mean you do most yeah <laughs> <laughs> i do do that yeah what's next is written and created by barb demaray it is produced edited and engineered by Mella. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure you subscribe to find out what's next. Conversations with Boomers.